Welcome to the AI Business Podcast, where we feature conversations with interesting guests at the intersection of artificial intelligence and business. Hi, I'm Deborah Yao, the editor of AI Business, and I'm very pleased to welcome a special guest today, Andy Marcus, the Chief Data Officer of AT&T. So glad you could join us. Hey, Deborah, thanks for having me. Andy recently wrote a blog that we published uh, on our website about his data responsibilities at AT&T, and it was the most read article in August. Congratulations. That's great. I mean, um, I I love that. People are interested in AI. That's right. Fun fact, AT&T holds the six most AI-related patents in the United States. I did not know that. I did not know that. So, Andy, what have you been up to lately? Work. <laughs> it's hard to keep that patent, uh, you know, trend up. No, we're we're really busy. I mean, it's um, it's a move to the cloud. It's a move to modernize our data and AI ecosystem. It's a move to to really, you know, make AT and T, you know, the best connectivity company on the planet. So we're we're crazy busy. So talking about um, connectivity, you manage a lot of data, like a humongous amount, petabytes of data on your global network. So how do you manage to, what kind of approaches do you take to manage that? And how does AI play a critical role? It's a really great question. And we do see, we do see a ton of data. I think um, the, the most recent stats are we see about 530 petabytes uh, a day across the network. So tons of data, you know, um, not all of the data, you know, uh, is curated, all the data stored in raw form. But what we try to do um, to make the data most useful, so we, do, we do try to curate that, right? We, do, we try to take it um, and, you know, create um, views and aggregations um, that the business most needs. And then we attempt to democratize those across the business. We create data libraries by types of data, and those data libraries are curated, and we eventually create business-ready data sets. And that's where most of the company leverages its data. You know, only, you know, uh, the data science applications and and some of the network operations areas are leveraging, you know, the 500 petabytes of data. We try to curate it to make the data most, that's most, in a most usable fashion for most of our our, our business users. Um, all that data that we have, um, we inventory in a central data repository we call it AMP. Um, and AMP is a searchable and a findable uh, you know, environment that allows us to, to take this data, uh, allow people to find it, and to democratize it and to really maximize the reuse of that data. Um, one of the challenges that all companies have, right, is that people will take copies of data, they'll make more copies of data, and now you have, you know, just data duplication all over the place. So um, by documenting it, by making it searchable and findable, um, and then, you know, easy, easily accessible, uh, we're trying to solve that issue at at t So talking about democratization of data, so that the tech teams, the data teams have to work cross-functionally with business teams. So how do you accomplish that? Because usually those two groups speak different languages. So how do you manage to do that? No, it's, it's, it's a really you know, good point. So I, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll kind of go around the world to get to it. Um, so I always say that you know, I have three hats to wear at AT&T. The first one is you know, we have to modernize uh, and transform our data and AI ecosystems. 
that's a full-time job right now. That job will be over at some point. Um, the next hat I wear is to really execute with partnering with the business data and AI use cases. And then the third hat is that hat of the chief data officer, right? To make sure that our, our data and AI are first-class citizens, uh, optimized assets of the corporation. So with those last two hats, right, we're working with the business all the time, right? We're, we're at the table with the business, helping them to, you know, do um, really complicated things with data and AI, making, making sure that we're delivering the value that, that's needed for the business. And then from a data governance perspective with the, with the chief data officer hat, we're, we're there ensuring that everybody is at, is, is at the table um, maximizing their own skill sets, their own data competency, so that, you know, we really can become, you know, a data-driven company. And, you know, even with that first hat that I mentioned, right, with the modernization of the ecosystem, so many of the assets that the chief data office maintains are needed across the company. So we have to, to make sure that our partners are involved in that modernization because things change. They need to be, know when the old stuff gets deprecated and the new stuff is available. So we really have to partner closely with them there. We, it's a long-winded way to get to your question. We actually have a business engagement function within the chief data office. So the goal of that function is to be like internal data consultants, right? Business partners. Where we go uh, to sit at the table with you know our the consumers of our data and and people across the firm, so that we're there to help them solve their business problems. Whether we're there from a center of excellence standpoint and we're just consulting at a high level, or there to you know, to really roll up our sleeves and do work with them to execute their, their use case. Um, but I think that function is super important for, for making us, us successful. And, I, you know, I always tell the team, you know, our number one goal, right, it's not, we're not doing technology for technology's sake. We're doing technology, data and AI, to drive value to the business. And so that's the focus of our team. So this internal data consultants that you have in the CDO team, is that very unusual for companies, if you know? Um, I don't think so. I, in previous roles, uh, I've always had that function. I just think, you know, to your point, you need somebody that, you know, has a, that has a business looking, you know, um, job that, that has that perspective of knowing how to connect the technology to the business problem. And, um, and that is a different skill set. Right. And so I, I believe it's an important, you know, part of making a chief data office successful. Can you give us some examples of successful collaborations between the data side and the business side? A hundred percent. So um, a few things we, you know, we'll work with the business on, you know, network planning or work with the business on you know, how to leverage data to, optimize, you know, how we pay taxes or how we, um, how we look at the fraud that AT&T, um, you know, is faced with. And we work together to create solutions. Um, everything from, you know, I can go on and on, but, you know, we have marketing applications. We have applications of identifying, you know, if, if there are incidents in the network, um, using, you know, data and AI to optimize how we roll trucks, how we you know, dispatch, you know, our field services reps. Um, it's, it's, you know, we've got so many applications that are really, I think, core to how AT&T operates. Well, that seems like it's, it's across the board that you're applying AI and data analytics. 
Um, but what are some of the challenges that you've encountered and you've solved um, wh- while you're implementing this? Well, you know, I think making sure we, we all talk the same language is really important. Um, I think ultimately really communication, um, transparency, and, and kind of a sense of partnership are super key. Because, um, you know, you can understand, you know, across different companies, this could be approached in different ways. But I think we have to have transparency so that the business understands what we're doing. We understand what the business is doing so that we don't, you know, collide in swim lanes so that we're, we're working together. Um, and then, you know, we can resolve any overlap if there, are, if there happens to be uh, overlap. And then I think another part of being a good partner and making sure that you have this good connection is really listening, right? And that's that consultancy, playing that role of, of you know, being the partner there that sometimes will we'll jump in and, you know, again, roll our sleeves up, sleeves up and do the data and AI work. Other times we'll just guide the business or help them if they have questions. You know, if you think across AT&T, some of our business units are really advanced in their data competency. Um, and so when we engage there, it's really a light touch. It's really more, you know, ensuring, you know, uh, we have the right architecture involved, that we're, we have the data documented correctly, but that, but that business unit, you know, they don't need a lot of help in executing their use case. In other cases, you know, parts of the business aren't quite as, as mature, and so there's more of a hands-on role. And so it really depends on the use case and the part of the business we're working with. So in one of your blogs, you, you've written about citizen data scientists. Who are they at AT&T and why are they important? They are everybody across the business. Um, so let, let me kind of set the stage for that, and then I'll kind of answer your question. Um, setting the stage, I think, is that we is we have to have the technology that allows you know the citizen data scientists to be engaged. And when I talk about that, is we already have you know a code driven process that's pretty standard across AT and T for developing AI. Um, but what we're working on is creating that um, to be low code, no code, so that we can engage smart people across the company that can leverage this technology with their business you know, knowledge to uh, develop AI solutions that are important for that part of the business. And so the idea is that if this is low code, no code, and if we have created the guardrails that we need at AT&T, um, you don't have to have a professional data scientist in the middle of every application that really you're using this technology with your subject matter expert, you know, expertise to create that, that functionality. And it's, it's our vision that and we've done a lot with AI across the company. I mean, we just recently chalked up, you know, I think we've seen close to two and a half, three billion dollars of value just in the last 12 months we've created at AT&T with AI. Um, and, I think there's still so much more we can do. And by leveraging this citizen data scientist with this technology that anybody can use to create robust but responsible AI, um, I think we can even create a lot more value, like maybe a magnitude of two to three X more, right? Maybe five X more. Um, And the, the reason why that's so important is we know that a professional data scientist, a good one, they're hard to find, right? You know, they're like unicorns. So we're not gonna go out and find you know, uh, you know, another few thousand of these people, right? Um, they're in demand. Um, you know, there, 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 there aren't that many of, of, of them. 
So the way that I think our path forward to create more AI, productive AI across AT&T, is to enable the technology so that our smart people across the business can do it and do it well. That's brilliant, teaching the non-technical people enough technical chops so they can do their jobs best in their domain. So that's that's really flipping the 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 conversation. So I, I love that. Uh, so talking about you know these citizen data scientists and other non-technical people at AT and T. I mean I think first of all you've got to get buy-in from them that they have to believe and trust this AI. How do you do that? It's a good question, but I will say at AT and T, it's not that hard. I mean AT and T at its core is a pretty technical company. It's a very technical company, um, and so we have a lot of smart people that are that are really receptive you know, to this concept. I mean, they're ready to engage. And so, you know, the way, you know, we're trying to approach things is we can't do things today that in the way that we've done things in the past 20 years, we have to kind of break the mold. We have to change the status quo. We have to attack things in a new way to, to really be that, that connectivity company that I talked about at the beginning. And so I think people are ready to, to, to go on that journey. They just need the technology and the support to get there. So it's, Different than other companies that I've worked with, AT&T, um, it's, it's really trying to keep up with everybody. It's not trying to coach people to come with you. So if you have any recommendations or advice for other companies that want to embark on a similar data journey as AT&T, what would you tell them? I think, um, you know, I, I think we, we really have to have, you know, the tools in place, you know, to make you know, to make the technology available um, that they need to, to use. So I mentioned AI as a service. AI as a service is that foundational platform that we're creating. I think that's a, that's a big part of it, right? You have to have, you know, that empowering technology. Um, you know, at AT&T, so many of our business users, uh, data users are actually BI users, you know, using business intelligence. And so, um, you know, there, you know, I think what we do is we plug them into the right technology, like a Power BI or a Tableau, like they don't necessarily need an AI as a service, but we need to make sure that they have, you know, a tool set that's very easy to use, but, but powerful in its own right. Um, and, and those are, and then, you know, just continue to, to find other ways to create self-service opportunities for our employees. We have, um, another concept that we've created called data platforms as a service, which is a data pipelining self-service tool, which uh, allows the business to, you know, both, you know, bring in and democratize data, you know, without having a data engineer involved. So I think it's really about, you know, enabling and, and you know, providing the tools that the business needs to, to do what they want to do and making sure that it's not the Wild West, right? That we're all, you know, doing things in a coordinated and connected fashion. I think that's, to me, it's the balance of both things. Can you differentiate between business intelligence and AI-powered intelligence or insights, for example? Yeah. I how would, much better is it with AI? Well, I would say maybe it's different, not necessarily just better. For, for most BI um, applications, it's more around, you know, understanding what the data is telling you, right? You know, it's it, it often in a visual way, um, sometimes in a, in a numerical way, but you know, just getting the, you know, the insights or the, um, you know, the story from the data with AI, of course, so much of the about is about, 
you know, the predictive nature, you know, understanding, you know, the data that we have today, you know, how it's going to going to predict, you know, actions and outcomes in the future. And so it's, it's maybe, you know, taking a use case with a different light. So uh, when you say that you are, uh, you know, encouraging employees to kind of do it yourself with AI, do you build or do you buy? How do you determine? Well, uh, both. Um, I will say, you know, uh, we, another thing I tell the team, and I think our team is, is very good at is, you know, don't try to build a commodity, right? You know, if, it, if it's a commodity, we're going to buy it. Um, and so when, when I talk about the tool sets that we have, really what we have is a best in class commercial offering wrapped with um, wrapped in a common platform with some AT&T special sauce. So I'll give you a really good example. With AI as a service, um, the foundation of AI as a service are, you know, kind of commercial tools like Databricks or H2O. But in, in the middle of that is what we call the AT&T real-time feature store for AI. And we built the feature store. Um, actually, we, we, we've now partnered with, with H2O and licensed with H2O. Um, we built the feature store because that functionality that we needed at our scale, at our complexity, didn't exist on the market. Okay, so um, it's it's a combination of, of build and buy, but we don't build where we don't need to. But when we do build it, I think it's it's, it's really powerful. The AI, AI feature store, um, you know, is it has like at this point almost 20,000 of AT&T's best AI features across the company. Uh, it allows users across AT&T to, to dip into that feature store and immediately start building their models without having to go through, you know, the, the standard steps that most data scientists have to go through because those features are already there. So the model development process is, is greatly shortened and the, mod, the features are there to really, you know, superpower the, those, those models. So after you implemented a model, how do you check for model drift or AI model drift? It's, it's yeah, another good point. I mean, as part of AI as a service, um, the you know the monitoring of, of AI is, is is built in, right? So we have a tool called Watchtower that again, mostly you know kind of a combination of of off the shelf and, and internally developed things, but it ensures that the ML ops um, component of of AI is in place, right? As we deploy the model, um, you know, in a pretty easy way, uh, the deployer can set, you know, the criteria that they want to check for model performance and the alerting that we want to see as part of, you know, continuing uh, the continuous production. And then the, that we can be alerted to make sure that the model continues to perform how we expect it to perform when it was rolled out. And, and as a data executive, do you have any views about synthetic data? Any pros and cons about that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a really great tool. I don't think it's the end all be all, right? It's, it's, a, it's a tool in the, in the toolbox. I mean, synthetic data is fantastic for, you know, for doing a lot of testing quickly to, to get past some of the privacy concerns that, that, that we might have. Um, it's a, it's a fairly cheap way to create data. Um, but you know, the reason why it's not end all be all right is that it's hard to get the breadth, breadth of the data, you know, interactions and patterns that you need. And it's pretty easy, I think, to unintentionally create some bias, uh, in, in a, in a synthetic data set. 
Um, and so you have to be really careful with that. So I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great tool, but it's not the only way um, to, to do this. You need, you need more. So how do you get a, how do you get over the challenge of plugging data gaps? Uh, then? Well, luckily at AT&T, we have so much data. <laughs> Often we don't need synthetic data. Um, but, you know, I think you, you, again, you have to, you have to use synthetic data for the right purpose to get started. And then, you know, as the, you know, the application, you know, runs, you know, we continue to monitor it, continue to rebuild, uh, to make sure that the solution, you know, is really customized for the application. But, you know, again, at, with the scale of at t and the network data that we see, um, the synthetic data isn't, you know, maybe the need, it maybe isn't as needed as much at ATT as it is in other places. So, and I have to ask this question because it's super important. How do you ensure privacy and security of your data? And you see a lot of, you know, hackers trying to get into the system. I mean, that, that's happening across the board. Globally. It is. And it's no, no exception here at at t Um, it's, I mean, secure, security and privacy is, is top of mind with everything that we do. I mean, it's really something um, as the chief data officer that is, you know, one of, one of my, my core concerns and something that we work really closely with our, our chief security officer and our chief privacy officer. But I will say, you know, at AT&T, all of our data is tightly governed with both policy, you know, and user access. Uh, by, by process, right? So, the, you know, you can't access data unless you go through a very controlled process to ensure that the access is, is needed and granted. Um, and then all of our use cases are reviewed with privacy. We, we tackle, uh, you know, our, our modeling and our data applications almost in a privacy by design way, where we deal with the privacy issues up front. Um, so we're not scrambling on the back end, you know, uh, when we're trying to apply the application. Another thing that's really important for us, and we spend a lot of time on it, is responsible AI. I know the Business Roundtable came out with responsible their responsible AI, um, you know, material this year. But it's been important at AT&T. Well, before that, uh, we have our AT&T AI operating guidelines, and all of our, our AI we envision going through. Um, our you know responsible AI process so that it's documented, that it goes through. Uh, a process so that bias can be evaluated and corrected. And then we know where all of our models are. And we know that, that everything has kind of been reviewed for bias. And our privacy team uh, is involved in that process. So you know, I just can't say enough. I mean, you're right. With, with the sensitive data that we have, with the trust that we have with our customers, you know, we think it's, there's nothing more important than, than to protect their data and their privacy. So what's next for the chief data office? Well, what are you working yeah, on? Never seems to slow down. Uh, but, you know, we're, I would say, almost two thirds the way through a transformation to the cloud. Right. So we've got to finish that that play and um, continue, you know, just finish that, that digital transformation and get the bulk of, of our workloads, you know, to the cloud. Um, so that's one thing. The other is. I talked a lot about the AI as a service functionality. Um, there's still work to be done there. Um, the like for an example is the um, the the responsible AI component needs to be automated, so we have to to continue to automate that. 
And then we're working on new things to, to add on to AI as a service, like hyperlocal uh, analytics and, you know, some more NLP functionality, as well as more personal, uh, you know, some personalization functionality. And then we have a lot of great use cases for graph technology. Um, so one of the really great things that we've done recently is, is robocalling is a huge issue um, for any, um, you know, telecom we have suppressed a ton of robocall traffic, nuisance traffic, using you know standard data and AI techniques. But we've also employed graph technology to to see it's not just the number coming through, but that relationship of that number to other numbers in their network and their connected network. Uh, think a social network that tells us that that's a a robocall. And so uh, I think there's a lot more applications of graph technology that we have across ATT. So. The last thing is uh, we're going to do a fun round. I'm going to give you a word or a phrase, and then you tell me what comes top okay. of mind. Just please make it brief if possible. AI is sentient. Not yet. <laughs> Will it ever be? Uh, not in my lifetime. Text to image generator. Awesome. Do you we use do. it? Crypto slash blockchain. Uh, it very two different topics. Blockchain very important for certain applications. Um, crypto, um, you know, way with the future. NFTs. Questionable. <laughs> and finally, explainable AI. Foundational. Now, that's part, as we think about um, our commitment to, you know, to responsible AI, AI has to be explainable. We have to explain it to our customers. Wonderful. It's been a pleasure having you, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate the invitation. To get more AI news and insights, visit our website at AIbusiness.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.